Потом что мама есть? Моя мама любит Finding the right jeans is hard. Accepting your jeans is even harder. Whether you wear boyfriend or bootcut, high-rise or low-rise, this podcast will teach you to love the jeans you are in. I'm Rachel. And I'm Tina. And we're going to use modern research to bust diet myths and get real about body after baby. We're going to take you on a journey of unpacking your old beliefs about food and weight so you can learn to nourish your body and raise body-confident kids. So put your booty in a chair and let's talk mom jeans. Hey everyone, welcome back to this week's episode. Today we are going to talk about all the myths about pregnancy and weight gain because, let's face it, once you become pregnant, your body suddenly becomes open to lots of discussion and advice from other people. Oh joy. It's the cultural norm in America at least that pregnancy and weight gain go hand in hand in multiple conversations. These conversations are how much you should gain, how quickly will you lose the weight, how quickly you get that pre-baby body back. The pressure is on in our diet culture. So the myth we are busting today is... Everyone should gain the recommended weight range during pregnancy. We will give you our thoughts on the origins of this myth, and then we are excited to welcome registered dietitian Lynette Broom to help us bust this myth further. So let's face it, this myth's origins lie in the problematic BMI scale, as well as lots of inconclusive studies that tie weight to health measures. And if you want to go back to episode 50 to hear us bust the myth about the BMI scale being a proper indicator of health, we definitely recommend it. It was a super fun episode. So since our healthcare system overly relies on the BMI scale as a health indicator, once the weight gain that naturally occurs in pregnancy is taken into consideration, many parents are suddenly cautioned about their size and weight. So again, if you listen back to episode 50, you'll hear that the BMI scale was designed to study populations and was created by measuring white males. So I don't know about you, but the pregnant female form of all races is very different from a straight-sized white male. (laughs) So I'm pretty sure the BMI scale should just be completely tossed out for pregnant health measures. (laughs) We need to take a step back and explore who is setting the parameters for average weight gain because there is very little actual scientific research backing weight gain to gestational diabetes or birth-related complications. Regardless of body size, all bodies are susceptible to various complications during the extremely complex process of fertility, pregnancy, birth, and post-birth. Bodies are more predisposed to certain complications based on family genetics or other health measures, such as access to resources, prenatal care, support during childbirth, access to medical care, and mental health. And yet, our typical diet culture narrows all these factors down to how many pounds you gain as your baby grows inside of you. This is harmful and anxiety-producing for many parents-to-be. Yeah, so since we are a nutrition and mental health team, we always look at the relationship with food and body from both a physical and mental health angle 
as we share our thoughts and explore the research. So Rachel here, I will go first on the mental health piece. I often find that since we are living in a culture that is always telling us to quote unquote watch our bodies or control our bodies, many women find that pregnancy feels like a hall pass from this rigid misery of body control. They feel it's finally a nine month break from diet culture and the diet rebel can come out and sound like, finally, I can eat whatever I want. So this is a sign not of lack of self-control or an unhealthy mom or baby, but rather a sign of diet culture's impact on our relationship with food and with weight. When we have not done the work to neutralize food and neutralizing a shifting body throughout natural body changing tears, see episode 45 to discuss the body changing tears, then this time of sudden body change can be alarming or it can instigate this emergence of the diet rebel. So, Tina, how do you see diet culture impacting people's ability to remain intuitive eaters during pregnancy or to manage their shifting body? Yeah, I'm going to keep it short and sweet. So, I mean, it's it's really impossible to remain an intuitive eater if you're trying to control your weight. And based off of all the pressures we have been chatting about, I feel for those pregnant mamas that are overwhelmed by the information that is pushing you further away from listening to your body. I mean, if you were meant to gain 20 pounds or 80 pounds or whatever pounds during pregnancy, your body is going to do it. I honestly don't know how you would control that if you were being intuitive and listening to what your body was requesting. I want to encourage all you mamas listening to listen to your body, listen to your cravings and trust your body. It knows what it's doing and doesn't need diet culture infiltrating what body trust you already have built. Okay, so since we clearly don't like this myth that all pregnant bodies should gain the recommended weight range during pregnancy, we decided to have an amazing RD who's also a mom and, get this, currently pregnant with her third little one. I mean, how perfect is this guest? To help us bust this myth. So we want to introduce you to Lynette Broom. She is a registered dietitian who holds two degrees from California State University of Long Beach a Bachelor of Arts in Family and Consumer Sciences, and a Bachelor of Science in Dietetics and Food Administration. After completion of her didactic program in dietetics, she completed her dietetic internship through CSULB. Lynette has over eight years of experience working with individuals who suffer from eating disorders and disordered eating. She has helped her clients see the value in balanced eating and living through exposure therapy, nutrition counseling, and personalized meal planning. Lynette promotes intuitive eating and health at every size while seeking to dismantle weight stigma. All right, let's do this. Welcome, welcome everyone to this week's episode of Mom Jeans. I have a little warm heart today because we're bringing on Lynette Broom, who, oh, I just love Lynette. Lynette and I have a little bit of a history of we work together at a treatment center and me seeing Lynette kind of just blossom into the fabulous dietitian and human that you are today. So I am excited to have you on to the podcast and to chat about this BS myth. So sure. welcome. <laughs> Thank you for having me. Yes. Yeah, today we're going to be busting the myth drum roll Uh, everyone should gain the x 
range during their pregnancy. Everyone should gain the same amount of weight. No, thank you. <laughs> you can't even say I it can't. without realizing that it's, it's such so a It's so hard to say it and actually be serious, but people believe it. And we are here today with Lynette to bust this myth. So let's get it. Yeah. All right. Well, welcome, Lynette. Tell us a little bit about who you are and why you are passionate about busting this myth. Okay. So my name is Lynette Broom. I am registered dietitian, obviously. So, I mean, lots of things when you're a mother. So I'm, I'm a mother of two and a third on the way. So um, I've been through this journey three times now with uh, pregnancy. Um, so not only am I a mom, but also a dietitian that works in the space of, you know, weight inclusivity, health at every size, intuitive eating. I do a lot of work with eating disordered folks and also disordered eating, which, you know, end of our spectrum there. Um, and then also I do a lot of work with um, women of color. So you know, just bringing in that angle that um, inherently you're going to have within different ethnic groups and different cultures, different body shapes, sizes. So entering something that is um, weight gain is a piece of it uh, definitely can come into play very quickly. Um, and just how bearable that may look and be for different types of people. So tell me a little bit about what you know about this myth's history or, or origination, or if you want to bring in this piece as, you know, you're saying, okay, individuals, people of color, bringing in that piece and how there's going to be different body shapes, different sizes, if there's any history or origination around that and how. Definitely. So th this arbitrary number is set, right? right. So um, in, yeah. in the, the, to my knowledge, I mean, everything about maternal weight gain, pre, post, you know, all these fun gravita, para, all these fun words we get with um, pregnant women, pregnancy, uh, everything is kind of hinged and tied to our BMI scale. So just off top, we're already entering a space with knowledge that we've established is faulty and not a great indicator of health or health status or any of those types of things. So everything about maternal weight gain is predicated on your BMI. So your BMI entering pregnancy and therefore there's a range that you are supposed to gain or not gain that is tied to your BMI pre-pregnancy. So just without going into anything else, everything that we're recommending in the medical field off top is connected to something that we've already established is problematic. So that is hinged on a homogeneous population. And then, you know, all of these studies too around it are kind of inconclusive. So it's like, okay, so if you gain X amount of pounds, there's really no indication that you're going to have an unhealthy pregnancy, a C-section, you know, all of these things that are usually tied to weight. There's really not any, there's very weak evidence even tied to any of these things. Um, so, you know, kind of in my research and, and all the studies, you have these big conglomerate organizations with all these acronyms, the WHO and, you know, <laughs> all these organizations <laughs> that are saying, that are setting these very kind of obsolete parameters for, for women. And I think for women that are already very anxious about going into pregnancy, because my gosh, it's so easy to have a baby, right? Um, you know, throwing these extra numbers at them is not, it's not helpful. And there's really not any solid science backing any of these numbers, to be honest. So if you have a variety of people and women that are inherently going to be different sizes, shapes, et cetera, how can you have one number? It's kind of like a one size fits all philosophy. And it's 
just not so. If you have a range of women going into pregnancy at different weights and things, how could they all gain the same amount of weight? Uh, right. And if we think back to, gosh, Rachel, who knows what episode that was, but when we busted, we didn't even bust it, but we talked about Lammy and the originator of BMI and whatnot. This was this was developed off of European population, which was white individuals, right? And it was supposed to be a gauging population trend. So if we're taking this information of BMI as gauging population trends of white people, right, then we're completely forgetting about the diverse population that we have today. And so if you're using this measurement for an individual that doesn't even hold that cultural norm, right, or that cultural makeup, then we could actually really be doing some damaging harm to this individual and their baby. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and furthermore, too, it's, it's, you know, this kind of idea that, um, I'm trying to thought of baby brain. <laughs> My mommy brain. Well, your pregnant mind. Moving up. I'll come back to it. It'll, 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 it'll it happens. Okay. Well, I think it's, so I have an interesting story where, you know, I live in a straight sized body, but my body is very muscular. So my BMI is always, and I'm very short. So my BMI is always sitting on the higher end of, you know, not in the normal range. And so I went into, um, I had my, uh, child at a birthing center with a midwife and I remember going in and in one of our first appointments she took my weight and that was the last time she actually ever weighed me because of this conversation and she was like you know you're x amount and your bmi is this and so I really only recommend that you gain x amount of weight and I literally looked at her like I'm about to spit fire into your face, right? Slowly controlled my thoughts and then was like, you know, I don't even know how to do what you're asking me to do because if my body is gaining whatever amount over that recommended amount, I honestly don't know what I would tweak to force my body to maintain, you know, this arbitrary range. She gave out some some whack ass diet culture recommendations that I was able to brush off and recognize that this is kind of a BS recommendation. But where my head went is, okay, you're never weighing me again because it's not necessary to I'm a straight size human who also is educated in this field. My heart is hurting for individuals that lived in marginalized bodies and also don't have the same education that they're really having, you know, this this health propaganda shoved down their throats or they're having fear instilled on them even before their baby is freaking born. They already feel like they're failing and doing something wrong. So hopefully in this um chat today, we'll be able to kind of break that down for those that are listening that can kind of relate to um, that angle. Yeah. Yeah. I know what I was going to say about the myth. So the other thing too, everything about science is, is study-based and all of these things. And it's like, okay, first of all, I don't know who these people are that are putting together studies. Who are you? Again, very homogenous population of people studying a very homogenous group of people typically. So your sample size is skewed. The people that are interpreting the data are skewed. So it's just not, again, it's not one size fits all. It's not applicable to every 
people. And when you just kind of throw these numbers at everybody, especially when you're in a position of power as doctors are, you're going to take it as, as that. It's like, oh, this is something that I need to follow. I'm not doing something right. Right. So, yeah. Piece to well, I think there. you bring up a really good point as the therapist here. I, usually I feel like I'm the lone therapist in these interviews, oh. but <laughs> I'm always like, there's physical <laughs> health, yes, but there's also mental health. And uh-huh. we need to Thank stop you, always prioritizing <laughs> physical health because mental health needs a big slice of the pie of balance in life. So I think you kind of hinted on that earlier, which is, hey, parents already have so much going on. And especially if you went through the rigmarole of infertility or losses or anything else and you're finally pregnant, or even if it is just a, you know, standard standard pregnancy, there's still so much going on with you. So now you're vulnerable. You're going into these appointments and immediately you're told, watch this, be careful about this, cautionary tales, medical scares to avoid. Like it is so fear-based that I really think that even just tweaking a little pressure off of weight, not only is like science doesn't really back that to you guys' point, but also emotionally could really be a game changer for so many people as far as their ability to be in their body. So again, I'm curious how you also see this myth as like being harmful to parents and how it impacts them. Absolutely. And so when you think about kind of just health and these different kind of channels that, that make up health, you know, when you go into a a doctor appointment as a, you know, prospective pregnant woman, et cetera, um, nothing else is asked. So it's literally get on the scale, come in for 10 minutes. I'm going to look at your BMI. I literally had an appointment yesterday. And the thing that she said, it was, you gain too much weight this month. You need to be careful. I will. I will. For me, for me. Again, it's just, I mean, much, much larger issue in the medical field. I mean, very large issues. So, I mean, if you're coming in as a provider, you don't know me, you don't know my history. You're literally looking at two numbers on my chart. And I wanted to challenge her, but I didn't care. I was ready to go. So I was, I'm not going to go today. But with both of my pregnancies, my weight gain has been, it, my flow is kind of consistent. So it's kind of follows a certain pattern. Um, and that's just kind of normal for me. I mean, I don't, I don't really care. I'm going to eat when I'm hungry and I'm going to stop when I fall. And that's just what it is. Um, but no other point of assessment is taken. It's literally like, get on the scale, look at your BMI. And I'm going to tell you certain things based on those numbers. So there's no comprehensive, how are you eating? What are you eating? How are you, what are your symptoms around eating? What can you tolerate? You know, how are you moving? How's your stress? How's your sleep? I mean, none of that matters. It's literally, what is your weight? What is your BMI? Okay, here's a piece of paper that's going to tell you about food groups and stuff. It's just, it's completely unthorough. Well, and you bring in this other good point of like, hey, wait, this is my normal trend. Like, if you spent time with me and talked to me, you would realize, hey, how have your last two pregnancies gone? Well, this is really normal for my body, right? You have that really awesome evidence to show that like this is how my body normally reacts. Now, granted, every pregnancy can be totally different. And if it's your first pregnancy, you don't have that evidence. But this doctor is already instilling this don't trust your body. What you're doing is not something has to be wrong because somehow your body is gaining too much weight too quickly, even though you know, you, you might not be doing anything different. And that just may be what your body needs to gain to support the baby inside of you. Mm-hmm. And there's just no other data. I mean, we're data driven. Times There's nothing else brought up. 
if not intangible, but tangible, you know, what else is there that's warranting you to have concern outside of just a number that you're looking at in BMI, because that's kind of all they're doing. They spend 10 minutes with you and then they move on to the 85 other patients they need to see for a day, which is a whole other issue. You know, what, how what thorough analysis or assessment as a healthcare provider are you even doing and giving? And that's part of the issue too. None of that is happening for women. So never had, um, I've never been able to find, <laughs> you know, a black OBG that's in network within my, you know, you get into all these, and not like it matters per se, but I think for some people, again, representation matters. So it's helpful sometimes and you have that kind of variety. I think kind of age is a piece, can be a piece of it too. I think some people in the medical field that have maybe uh, adopted kind of older kind of principles and things like that of medical um, treatment. I mean, I think that can be a piece of it too, you know, where it's like very kind of straightforward. Um, but that's, that can be another hurdle for a lot of people that don't, you know, see somebody understanding perhaps their culture, um, their language perhaps in, in interacting in these, in these spaces. Right. Yeah. There's, you know, this recognition of privilege as a white individual, I can go in, it's like, you know, the majority of the providers I see white individuals. Okay, fine. If we're saying, you know, these, these statistics are being measured off of white people, there's some safety, quote unquote, very, very uh, liberal safety in that. But then coming from, okay, these individuals that you know, you can't find that representation, even though you're searching for it, you're seeking it out. And so, you know, is there a, a, a level of lack of safety going into these providers, knowing that they're, that they might not be assessing that part of your culture? Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think, you know, again, the diversity and kind of bodies and in the cultural and ethnic norms that exist, um, you know, if you are in a larger body and you're going into something like this and going into it, I mean, you're already going to feel, you already feel pressure, you know, society puts it on you, whether or not you want it or not. So that's already a piece of kind of what's going to be in your head. And then when it's reinforced in the office time and time again, um, you're definitely not going to feel, I mean, how open and comfortable are you going to feel? And even talking to your provider about things that may be going on, if you feel like that's, that is the thing that's talked about kind of in that space. Mm -hmm. Right. What would you recommend to clients? You know, I think I think we have a mixture of, you know, providers listening and then also clients listening. What would you say to, or not necessarily clients, but just, you know, patients of these professionals, but what would you say to those individuals for their own self-advocacy? Yeah, so you can almost interview people the same way you would anywhere else, anything else. So you can ask those questions up front. Um, and advocate for yourself. If there's things like you said, I don't want to be weighed. That's not a. That's not something that's important for me. Um, lead the lead the appointment with that. You know, so you can go into there with that and, and do some do a little bit of screening. You know, kind of see what ratings that that doctor has had or whatnot. Um, referral based. So if you talk to people that you know that are in your community that you trust, ask them who they go to. And again, it's going to be a little bit more legwork, a little a few more hurdles. But if that means you getting quality care for the nine to twelve month you know, pregnancy postpartum, uh, it's worth it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think you bring up a really great point and I want to kind of repeat is that it is our medical right to refuse being weighed, even though pregnancy is set up in our healthcare that it's okay. It is around weight, you know, you're gaining weight, stay within this range. It is 
not necessary for that. And so there are other markers that healthcare professionals can be using to assess your safety. They're taking your vitals, they take blood work, they do ultrasounds. So if you're really setting that boundary of saying, it does not make me feel comfortable to be weighed, um, are there other you know markers that you can use to assess my health and sit with me and ask some questions? I'd rather do that. And if not, if they're saying no, then it is your right to leave that appointment and to find another provider that will honor that boundary for you. I think you bring up a really good question is like, what is your relationship with food? Because I do hear some from peers and from other clients that I have this concept of like, oh, I'm pregnant. I can finally eat whatever I want. I can finally, you know, I don't know, go crazy, quote unquote, sometimes we'll hear people even say, and you're going, okay, also another sign of diet culture that you that you didn't trust your body. And now you all of a sudden you feel like you've gotten this hall pass quote unquote, to be able to do whatever you want, because it feels like you're in this like nine month window where your body's not going to be judged the same way. And the relationship with food gets all out of whack. But again, it's because the relationship with food was never in whack <laughs> to begin with, <laughs> you know? So I, again, I think you're right that it, it always comes back to like, hey, what is your level of body trust? And what is your relationship with food? Because if it's feeling like it's off in pregnancy, there's a huge chance that it was off to begin with. And there's still a huge amount of work to do, like on a global scale, kind of. I think, though, my question, I guess, to you two now as the dietitians is, how do you help clients work on their relationship with food and work on this piece that feels like it's just going to be an obstacle they have to manage in the doctor's office about weight in a way that still has them hold on to their body trust? So people need, well, you have to start off with correct kind of information about, you know, what, what are you kind of, what is your body kind of in need of? I think that just because you're pregnant, doesn't mean that we have to throw everything out the window as far as maybe what you've already been working on historically um, with your relationship with food. Um, so this, the same kind of ideas that we explore with clients with, you know, are you honoring your hunger? Are you honoring your fullness? Are we, you know, eating for reasons not connected to hunger? You know, what's going on around that? So you can continue that into pregnancy. I think there's hesitancy if you go, if you already have a, a challenging relationship with food, going into pregnancy then uh, with those same kind of ideas could only potentially heighten, I would imagine, you know, your relationship with food. So you continue the work, um, the same work, nothing really changes because you're pregnant per se. I mean, you may not be able to tolerate very much, right? I mean, you can have a lot of other symptoms and things like that that come up, but I think you just continue that work. Like nothing has to change because you're pregnant. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I'm going to need to insert the disclaimer again, Rachel. I'm so sorry. Here we go. Here we go. I'm going to say it, but and I've said this in multiple episodes, Lynette. So oh um, I think I know where we're going. <laughs> so I had a boy. I knew we we're going here. I have to because it's so important. I had a boy and I grew a penis in my body. Okay. I, I don't Very know how I you. did that. Right. I'm so proud of myself. <laughs> Well, I've had two boys, so I've grown two, so I win. Oh, damn it. Okay. Well, Lynette's grown three vaginas oh. and whatever. 
Okay, so, oh, well, you both have three kids. Whatever. We're not in a competition. (laughs) What I'm trying to get at is that I've trusted my body, right, to be able to design this baby. And really what it comes down to is that we as humans don't know how these babies are growing inside of us. I mean, yes, we know because of science, but we don't control it. And so if we can come down to the actual fact of body trust, then nothing is actually changing, right? The only thing is that our body is doing something that ultimately we don't have any control over. And it's same thing in our natural life when we're not growing a human in our body. We don't have control over our body. We have control over our behaviors and the relationship that we hold with those behaviors. But ultimately, we don't have control about what size our body is or is going to be or what color our skin is or what color our eyes are or Ultimately, we don't have control over these external factors, right? And so diet culture teaches us that we do. And so when we get pregnant, it's like, oh, oh, I can control this. And that's where I think the biggest failure is. We can't. It's no different, right? So it's just coming back to that space of body trust, trusting that our body knows what to do. Now... It makes it a lot more difficult when now we're involving these weight-centric providers. You know, you already feel unsafe because you hold a marginalized identity or just don't feel like, feel safe going to doctors anyways. And they're spitting out weight-centric advice, right? Focusing on your weight as the problem, telling you, I mean, one of my midwives told me, don't eat tortillas. And I'm like, one, B, you don't even know if I eat tortillas, okay? Two, what does that have to do with anything? But really she's saying limit the carbs. And I'm like, I am literally going to freak out on your face right now. So there just is, people are spitting out advice. They're not spitting out research. And that I think is the biggest flaw. And also our research is tainted. So I feel like we're really backed into a corner. (sighs) Tangent. If we can bring it back to mom genes, right? So we're going to shift it to parents and children. How can parents support themselves who, let's say, are pregnant and are ha- and have kids or they're trying to support themselves to shift out of this weight-centric mentality so it doesn't get passed on to kids? What would you say to parents? Well, we know this because we see these children in every time. I know. children I know there's typically a mom I hate to do it there's typically a mom behind it that has her own stuff going on 90% of the time so you know really the work before you're able to really lead by example really because it really doesn't matter what you say to your kids or watching what you do is you have to come to some type of peace harmony with your within yourself around your own body and your own relationship with food if you don't remit if you don't reconcile that um you're it's it's an uphill battle you know you can tell your kids oh you know you're perfect as you are this and that but if they see mom constantly or dad you know it could go either way um body obsessed gym obsessed food obsessed orthorexic obsessed um that's what they're going to do and that's what they're going to fall in line with so you have to reconcile your relationship with yourself as parents before you're able to model any sort of 
you know, healthy behavior for your children? Because it really comes down to modeling. You know, what does that dinner table look like? Because if mom is not eating pasta or she's eating, I, I keep indicting mom, I'm sorry. It's just more common um, as far as diet and how it affects women. Um, mom's eating zoodles and not pasta. Like what's mom, why are you not eating pasta? You know what I mean? And they're gonna fall in line with that. And they get so much messaging so early from school, unfortunately. So they're getting health information, healthy this, healthy that. Um, while the intentions may be good, they're not. Like, don't tell my daughter anything is healthy or not healthy. You know what I mean? Like, I don't want her. She doesn't even need to have that vocabulary yet. It's not useful. So. I think you bring up a good point, though. Like, the answer to the zoodles versus noodles would be, well, I have to watch something, right? I have to. <laughs> That's usually what the, the parent might say. But it goes all the way back to that doctor appointment with that very first parenting moment where you have to watch <laughs> that weight or medical consequence, gestational diabetes, big babies, C-sections or something like that. Because once again, we're always demonizing that. And then it that is so ingrained in that parent then that you fast forward 15 years to that dinner table. Well, now they still have to watch it because they're just told that watching is the normal way right. to treat your body. Instead of trusting. Right. What if someone had right. said like, you know, oh, yep, it looks like your weight went up X this week or this month. Like, looks like your body's needing to hold on to more stuff. Growing. Awesome job. Keep keep trusting yourself. Like, damn, that validation is good. Right. And and how that could really help someone or like. Hey, is, do you have any questions about pregnancy or how your body's changing? Or are you scared at all? Like, can we make this appointment about you versus watching and controlling? And again, something that you have no control over. It's unthorough assessment on a doctor's, from a doctor's perspective. You're not asking if my boobs have grown grown a cup size because they have you're not asking me if i'm swollen if my feet are swollen if i'm having edema i mean none of these things are even part of what's happening it's kind of like well this is it so and again judgment on maybe what you're eating or not eating just based on a number as well is completely just like doesn't they're not connected you know so and so there are providers out there that can provide thorough care I thought I was getting that by going to a birthing center and working with a midwife. I didn't get that care that I thought I was going to get. And, you know, if there is another baby for me in the future, then I'm going to change it up. I'm going to do a little bit more interviewing and make sure, making sure that, um, you know, my needs are met a little bit more, but that isn't always accessible. And so I think if it isn't accessible, then that self-advocacy is super, super important. And there are a lot of great individuals that we follow on our Instagram page that have a lot of awesome resources set up. Um, we can also link that in the show notes. Um, but, you know, I think it's really just searching out and doing those resources so that you can go into those appointments better prepared. Do you have any resources that you love? Oh, not that I can think of. Again, you know, you bring up kind of privilege and access. I mean, I live in a pretty affluent area. And so even my hospitals and the access that I have, um, even just having medical insurance for some people um, is a huge privilege. You know, so I can imagine people that have, don't have 
or have less access to resources, what does that interaction look like where you're dealing with providers potentially that, you know, if I'm complaining about the amount of time I have with my practitioner, I can't imagine if you're going somewhere where, again, it's not, you're not getting the best care potentially because of lack of access and socioeconomic status. Um, so that's a whole nother kind of thing. I mean, I have um, quite a bit at my exposure, you know, and I, I, I exist in a luxury for that reason. Mm -hmm. Okay, we'll link that. So I'll do a little digging and see what I can find as far as just connecting people with even just, you know, different lists or just different, you know, organizations that they can go to um, if they're wanting a certain type of experience and provider because they exist. Again, just have to do a little bit more digging. It's not going to be as conventional perhaps. I guess to wrap it up, if there's anybody listening who is really struggling with every time they go to that appointment, they feel like this weight is the central topic of care. And every time they go into the kitchen, they question what they should eat and how much they should eat because of that weight. What would be one little last nugget of information that you'd like to leave them with? I think surround yourself with a type of information and support that I think intuitively you know is correct for you and your experience and your and your baby. I think we have that intuition naturally. We question it, but it's there. So there are certain things that you know fit and work for you. So surround yourself with that information and that, that level of support. Because so, looking at things that are outside of that are only going to take you down a path that's not good for you or baby. And where can people find you if they want more? I'm at lbnutrition.net. <laughs> nice. Thank you so much for coming on. You are fabulous. Thank you for having me. Thank, Thank you. you. That is a wrap on this episode of the Mythbuster series, and we hope this information provides you with a more critical lens when you hear mainstream diet culture messaging. Please reach out to the person interviewed to connect with them in the ways they listed, or you can check out our social media pages at Mom Jeans the Podcast for details on the episode and to find our guests' information. And if you love the episode, please leave us a rating and review on iTunes and recommend this episode to a friend. Sending you the inner strength to accept your jeans with a G and wear the jeans with a J. Bye. This episode of Mom Jeans was produced and edited by Rachel Coleman and Tina LaBoy. Just a reminder, this episode is not a substitute for therapeutic counsel or nutrition advice. Thank you to Jerry DePizzo for the music production. You can find episode information and show notes at www.momjeansthepodcast.com. Follow us on Instagram at momjeansthepodcast and join the Mom Jeans the Podcast Facebook group to find a community of mamas learning to love their bodies and discussing the episodes. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Mom Jeans. See you next time.